This is the WRFI News Feature. I'm Celia Clark. Since the start of the war between Israel and Hamas in October, there have been several separate rallies in Ithaca supporting Palestine or Israel. Public emotions ran high when the Tompkins County Legislature briefly considered a resolution in support of Israel and flying the Israeli flag in the legislative chamber. It was around that time that I asked three local interfaith leaders to talk about their work together and how the war is affecting it. This is part one of my interview with Mahmoud Burton, a leader in the local Muslim community, Rabbi Shifra Tabakman, the spiritual leader at Tikkun V'or in Ithaca, and Reverend Dr. David Caden of the First Congregational Church of Ithaca. We spoke before the recent arrest of a Cornell student for allegedly making violent anti-Semitic threats online against the Jewish community on campus. Each of these leaders made it clear their opinions are their own and don't represent their entire faith communities. I started by just asking how they're taking care of their own emotions while helping their communities. Mahmoud Burton spoke first. So today is a day like many days and unlike many other days. (laughs) Um, I have to say that the past couple of weeks have been uh, challenging. Each day is a little bit different in character than the day that preceded it. Uh, you know, I think um, as I and I assume as we go through um, traumatic events uh, such as we find ourselves in the midst of, that uh, there's a certain uh, stasis that occurs after time. And, you know, things sort of become normalized in a certain way. And then, you know, maybe a little bit of news comes in that brings it back to, uh, you know, the adrenaline flows again. So um, the days are, um, you know, I try to find uh, solace in my prayer time and, uh, you know, in in my work that sometimes can bring my attention to just, you know, focus on some other things for, not, you know, for a period of time. And uh, um, frequently I find myself uh, coming back to uh, my occupation with the events of this time. Rabbi Shifra Tobachman. You know, it's, it's, I, I feel like um, at every moment I'm answering that question fresh, um, that there's not, um, there's not, there's not a way that I feel at any, on any one day or even hour to hour um, that things shift and change quite a bit, that the complex of emotions that are involved um, with, um, not only dealing with, well, dealing with the events of October 7th and the war that is, is, is unfolding and all the pain and suffering that is unfolding and all the ways that people are responding to it and all the ways that old traumas are, tra- traumas are reactivated and um, all of the current grieving that's happening and all of the um, political strains that come in from different places, um, which I often have to respond to, it's, um, it's so complicated that this phrase that keeps coming up for me is uh, from time to time a little less in the last couple of days thankfully probably because what Mahmoud just said um, about about there's a certain kind of stasis that sets in in a certain odd weird way Um, but but that um, that the um, it's hard to keep up so how am I caring for myself and all that well I um, I have people who I talk to like f- dear friends, and I have a wonderful part supportive partner, and I I go into nature and I rely on my prayers in the morning, and I um, 
and I attempt to um, I attempt to reground myself every time I go to do something and I um, in public and I uh, make sure that I'm there when the gardener is going to be there to put the garden to bed so that I can participate in that and you know so. Um, it's about doing the things that I would normally do for my self-care, except that it's a little feels can feel a little harder to get to them or prioritize them, and so I have to make sure that I'm doing that. Reverend Dr. David Caton. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges for religious leaders right now is that we, and this is true, anytime a tragedy happens, or on the macro scale, like what we're facing now, or even on the micro scale, let's say somebody in the congregation passes away, there is a there is a certain trauma that goes with that for the congregation. Um, so we as leaders carry that, right? Um, we carry those emotions as a kind of collective in our bodies. And, and people come to us and express their emotions and their fears um, and their concerns and their uncertainty and all of that stuff. And you kind of have to carry that, even though at the same time, I myself have fears and uncertainties and all of those same things. And that's the challenge of being a, a faith leader, one of the challenges, but that is a challenge at a time like this. Um, and in terms of particular people in my congregation, I've used the phrase, and this is, I certainly didn't invent it, I've heard it elsewhere, but um, compassion fatigue, where uh, people feel so deeply at a time like this, and they want to do something, but they don't know what that something is. And um, their emotions are so strong and their feelings are so strong, and where do those feelings and emotions go, right? So they end up holding that, and it has a kind of fatigue effect on their bodies and, and souls. And um, so I have experienced that in talking with people, um, you know, listening to their, own, to their own struggles. And again, as I was saying, as religious leaders, we, we often carry that, right? Um, so then in terms of what I do for self-care, uh, and this is just a discipline that I've developed over the years, like Rabbi Schiffer was, was saying, you, you have to find ways to ground yourself. And for me, it's the discipline of getting up early, you, uh, using my prayer books, reading scripture. Um, that starts me off on the right foot every day. Um, and then to close the day, I pray the Compline in our tradition, which is the final prayer of, of the day before you go to sleep. And there's a rhythm to that so that you know you're it's like bookends on a day you mm -hmm. might say um so if we have to define what interfaith community or relationship means one of you maybe just give a brief description of what that means to you so we're all under so everyone listening understands what we're talking about here can i just say that it's actually surprisingly complicated to answer yeah, yeah. um like so 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 um because interfaith work, interfaith dialogue, interfaith community can mean anything from um, people of different faiths just, you know, kind of getting together to have share a meal um, to people developing um, long-term closer relationships through their through their through their communities to um, people who have different points of view coming together to um, 
to talk about some some issue or some theological question um, and other people may be witnessing that and other people maybe not witnessing that um, so mm. so it can it can mean so many different things and I, I think that um, one of the things I'm aware of is that I'm gonna probably want to stop talking momentarily be- simply because you know I just came here a little over two years ago and I'm aware that there are a, a, a lot of people including both of the lovely people who I am doing this interview along with, who have been involved in um, interfaith community building and relationship building here for a long time. One of the beautiful passages in our scripture, um, and I'll just paraphrase very roughly here, talks about how God could have created us all as a single um, mm. people, but did not. And uh, you know, the purpose in that diversity is so that we might come to know one another. And so for me, that's really one of the most important facets of the interfaith work. And as I think um, many people will appreciate, um, almost no one has any misconceptions about Islam. So um, <laughs> so uh, I think in a certain sense, the imperative uh, for me as a leader in the Muslim community is, uh, is perhaps a little, um, you know, is particularly important um, that... Uh, you know, we make uh, relationships with our neighbors and uh, we come to know and understand one another. And uh, the work that we've been doing over the past um, nine, eight and nine years, uh, I think, has uh, has served that purpose uh, very well. And uh, we now have uh, many friends amongst the diverse religious communities in uh, Tompkins County, and uh, not just the religious communities, you know, in the interfaith dinners that we uh, have been doing monthly now for the past uh, six years, uh, we always invite members of the local community. So it's really a a big uh, sense that we have of um, making a platform so that we can simply uh, know and understand one another. And, you know, over the course of the past couple of weeks, many, many of uh, my Jewish friends in the community have uh, have reached out, and uh, there's been a lot of interaction that I've had, you know, one on one with them. And uh, you know, this uh, goes to show when we were establishing our mosque, we were getting uh, donations from different religious communities uh, in the county to help us uh, get over that last um, a bit of our financial threshold. So there's many, many benefits uh, to uh, the interfaith work, and I've I've just touched on a couple of them really. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about building relationships of understanding across fields of difference, right? I mean, <clears throat> it's no it's no secret that our traditions are different, um, but different can also help to make a you know different flowers in a garden make the garden more more beautiful. And um, I think that's one thing we have come to appreciate in my church about our interfaith relationships is. Um, recognizing that across fields of difference there's lots of beauty right and um and as we've gotten to know people from the different faith communities we have been enriched in that in that getting to know each other process um and when we're talking about building a community that is diverse i think that's especially important right now because differences are often used as as ways rhetorically to demean people or to demean groups and to have people from different faith traditions coming together and interacting and building community that in a way sets an example for how things could be 
much in a much broader sense than than what we're doing just locally here in Ithaca. So I, I when I think about um, interfaith relationships, I think about it not just you know what we're doing in Ithaca and in this region, but I also think about possibilities uh, beyond the bounds of our our geography here. Can I add something to that? Oh, sure. So um, I think for this moment in particular, it's really worth um, worth mentioning that part of the part, one of the many ways that um, interfaith relationships can make a difference in community is in a community here or anywhere is that at a moment like this, um, threats of both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are way heightened, are way, way heightened. And acts of, violent acts of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are heightened. And, um, and people, and, and so the actual risk is greater, but also people's, also people's fear is greater. And people need to kind of know, you know, that we have, kind of have each other's backs in a certain way, sure. or that we'll be there for each other if something happens to the best of our ability. And we're just much going to be much more able to do that if we already have relationships than if in our good, in our, in our uh, loving hearts we go, or just something happens and we're going, oh, I want to help, I want to help, I want to help, I don't know who to call. You know, but instead we have someone who we already have a relationship with and we can say, hi, what can I do? So I wonder if you can talk about the ways in which you feel like acts of war, like have happened, yeah. challenge interfaith work that's been going on for you know for so long. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how I phrased it to you, Me but yes, either. it was something along those lines that this is a challenging time. And um, yeah, I, I wasn't a pastor in two thousand and one, um, but for previous generation of clergy, I know that was a challenging time. Um, and something Rabbi just said about heightened, heightened Islamophobia and anti-Semitism right now, um, just to share a little bit about how how we got together in this place right now. Um, you know, after the attacks on October 7th, we reached out to Rabbi Shifra and TVO and pitched the idea of doing uh, an interfaith vigil of some sort. We weren't sure what it was going to look like. But in the process of, of talking with Rabbi Shifra and then with Mahmoud, it became very clear that the the level of pain in those two communities was more than I had understood. Um, and I should speak coming from a, a Christian perspective that we, speaking for myself, but also for, for members of the community, um, we felt a little bit on the outside, you know, in the sense that, um, you know, of course, as Americans, our government is very involved in in Israel. We fund uh, the military in many respects. Um, so we're all engaged at, at some level. But in terms of experiencing Islamophobia or experiencing anti-Semitism, that's, that's not something we experience right now as as Christians. So that heightened sense of of threat and emotion is is something we're almost looking looking in at as it's unfolding and that has been a learning experience for me um, over the last few weeks Um, and i've come to appreciate it so much more and i think that's one of the reasons why we decided this would be a a good opportunity to become even more engaged um, in our interfaith relationship building has the past couple of weeks presented new challenges for you for each of you um rabbi 
and Mr. Burton, have they presented challenges any different than when there have been other clashes between Israel and Palestinians? This, this, is this time different? So I would have to say that this time is unequivocally different than uh, other events. You know, a certain uh, line has been crossed, so to speak, that has uh, made the impact of these events on the global stage to be uh, profound. And the amount of, um, I'd say, the the resistance to contextualizing these events has had a huge impact on our community and also on uh, my friends in the Jewish community, and not just here. I'm aware in, in many places. And What's an example of that, can you say? Well, so the resistance to contextualize is when... Um, for instance, someone um, approached me for an interview in a different context, and uh, uh, they were saying, you know, we want to talk with you about, uh, you know, the war between Israel and Hamas. And I said, well, I'm actually, um, what I would rather do is have a discussion with you about the situation between Israel and Palestine. And the inability for the word Palestine to be uttered in any of the announcements and any of the the news breaks and now it's it's in the conversation but you know in um you know in a very backseat kind of way that the effect of that has been that um there has been a huge pushback and um the way that now uh in speaking in public and you know even in conducting this interview which is going to be aired at some point in time uh, I'm presenting some risk to myself personally and uh, to my community in daring to speak that word. And uh, so this is, um, you know, this is really the biggest example. And uh, um, the level of uh, suppression that I have felt, I have never experienced that uh, previously. And uh, the impact that has on my community members is also quite uh, quite intense. And not only my community members, again, because um, I know that uh, people in the Jewish community who I know personally who have a voice that they want to say, wait, there is not just, you know, one side of this situation, you know, there's suffering on both sides. And even to say that for some of them is to experience castigation from their own community members, some of them. And so I'm aware that for all of us, um, you know, the Jews and the Muslims in this situation and people who uh, might speak from what might be characterized as a progressive uh, viewpoint who don't have a religious affiliation would be experiencing some of the same things right now. Yeah, it's definitely um, not the same. Um, and there, 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 there's, there's, there are so many ways that it is not the same, actually, which is really interesting because for so many years, um, you know, things so many decades, you know, things would things would flare up, and I'd be like, "Oh, here we go again," um, and you know, and then there would be things to respond to, and there would be I don't know whatever <laughs> ways to think about them, and I don't know, analyze them, sort them out, figure out how to how to be as a Jew, how to be as a rabbi, how to be as a progressive person, um, how to be in greater community. That's, that part isn't new. 
Um, but the, the, the scale here is enormous by comparison and, for, for, and in several ways um, So that, that make things very complicated. So um, one, thing, one, one thing that, I, I, that for me it's important to say is that one of the things that's been so difficult um, is that the attacks in Israel on October 7th um, of Israelis and others by people acting on behalf of Hamas. Um, the the nature of those attacks was so awful and so heinous and so um, much worse, more traumatizing. Um, than anything that has happened before for 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 Israelis and um, and and for many for many of us around the world and so um, so where that ends up going is that um, not only are people trying to deal with what really does need dealing with in terms of that trauma, but people are also then going into a hyperactive defense mode. Um, and, and I mean that both in the personal kind of micro sense and in the macro sense in terms of how Israel has responded here. Um, I know that one of the things that has been painful for me and in conversations, Mahmoud and I have talked about this, is that um, one of the things I would that I really long for, that I know is really hard to do, regardless of how much I understand about the context of what made it possible for this to happen, is that I, I really long for um, people, be, my friends and allies outside of the Jewish community to just say, this was awful, full stop. Not but, not and, not nothing. I just, I just long for that. I want that recognition. This was awful, full stop. This not, meaning the this attacks, meaning the by, attacks by the The attacks by, by Hamas on October 7th. It says nothing about, I know I'm not saying we stop there. I'm not saying we stop there and say we don't have to, we don't have to end the, I, I, I believe we have to end the occupation. I believe that there's a whole lot that made this happen. I believe that uh, that uh, my progressive friends and I um, agree on you know, most most things about what's, what's, what's happened and what's made things possible. When people don't have their pain heard, it's very hard to move on. It's, why, it's part of why I can't go to us to an event or a, you know an event in the Jewish community right now and not say I am praying for Israelis and Palestinians and everybody who is suffering. I can't I can't do anything other than that. Because if if people's if people's pain and trauma isn't heard, that's how we end up in this mess in the long run. In the long run of history, that's a lot of why we're here. So I, I, um, yeah. Mm. I, yeah. 
And can, I, can I just add something real quick? Um, absolutely. So you, you hear in, in um, both of what's been said al- already about this, you hear the emotion, right? You hear it, and it's felt. I can feel it. And um, and that goes back to what I was saying a, a bit ago about the challenges of, of interfaith work now. It's, it's not challenging in the sense that we can't do it. It's challenging in the sense of really understanding, at least speaking from, from my my perspective as a Christian and representing a community, um, feeling with, right? That That is hard um, because it is in our experience in a direct sense in the same way that it that it is for the Jewish community and also for the Muslim community. Um, so. <clears throat> is that part of the root? I mean, I the that feeling with is co-passion, right? That's compassion. The, That's right. right. That compassion. is the definition. Right. Right. So then is that part of the root of what interfaith work or building interfaith community should do or tries to do? Yeah, compassion is something that's nurtured and it in a you could almost say it's a kind of spiritual discipline that you develop over time. Um and it's something I think kids are born with naturally. Um, and over time, based on life experiences, that can be diminished or increased. Um, and when you get to adulthood, a lot of things have happened in your life that can, that can, it's almost like a flame that can make that flame diminish a little in terms of the fire of compassion. But I think if it can be fanned again uh, into life in a, in a nurturing community, a religious community, but also in the context of community building across faith traditions. Um, How do you nurture that at a time like this? I mean, that's a lot of pain to feel or to share. Can I, Do you know? I mean, and you said yeah. about acknowledging yeah just the act. You all have already talked about this, and I wonder a little bit about sort of how you respond to that and then how you how you then are able to move beyond. I, I really want to hear from Mahmoud on this, and I want to say that part of what being able to say that with Mahmoud did for me was it made, made it possible for me to also hear how this is playing out in ways in, in his Muslim community that I was not aware of. Um, that um, so so you know part of it is is just that. So I think that the nurturing of compassion is something that comes from our reflection on you know, our own experience and the recognition of that in the experience of our of our community and of our neighbors. And, you know, to understand the importance of, you know, just being heard is, um, I think, is, you know, to make a platform where we can do that for one another, I think, is very important. And, you know, it's certainly true that, you know, what is to be heard from, I don't want to say necessarily either side, you know, because there are, we're talking here, we have a three-way conversation that we're going. And so, you know, from, from any corner, you know, what is to be heard is distinct. 
And, you know, and I think that the, you know, the pain and the depth of what there is to deal with in facing that is very real and, and, uh, and, and palpable. And so, um, you know, this is something that I think really is part of, of, of coming to know each other and being able to respect one another for the depth of what it is that we do feel. <laughs> oh no. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that was pretty perfect. It's also um, a humanizing sense to compassion, which we could talk about if you want. But, say that again. Well, I was just going to say that one of the things that compassion, one of the fruits of compassion is the, f- the fundamental recognition that the person who is different from you is also a human being with real flesh and blood feelings a real soul, um, and you see when compassion breaks down in an attack like Hamas attacking Israelis. Um, but you also see a compassion breakdown in an occupation that dehumanizes, right? So, so but the work of compassion or the nurturing of compassion, the fruit of it is that you you start to see the other as not so other. Right. You're more alike than you are different. Is there a way to do this in the midst of this current war and separate that out from politics? (laughs) Million dollar question. (laughs) I don't think that there is. And I think that's one of the great challenges in, you know, in this time is just, you know, to simply acknowledge that, um, you know, for there to be a way out of this situation, you know, inevitably there has to be some political directive that has enough um, sustenance to be able to move something. And, you know, that's that's in short order right now, of course. And, uh, and I think that, you know, for the pain of either, you know, the Muslim community or the Jewish community, you know, and really the Christian community to be fully understood, you know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, a large part of what is um, driving this, you know, is on a certain element, you know, a certain part of its nature is political. And I I think that there's simply no getting around that, and we have to just, you know, face things uh, with that fact. And, uh, um, you know, that doesn't mean that we have to become, um, we don't have to be divided by that fact. I think we have to be aware of that fact. We have to understand the context that we're operating within and the challenges that that brings for each of our communities. Um, So we can't deny it. We can't pretend it's not there. We have to fully work within the influence that it has. But I think we can't also let that be the sole defining aspect of how we understand each other in the situation. I think that's well said. We can't let it be the we can't let it be the sole. (laughs) We we have to we have to we have to face head on that this um, both is a political situation. Um, and not let that be the sole driving force of how we act and how we respond. 
so, so that that's a tall order, um, and it's and it is part of why when I when I spoke at the beginning of the interview about the complexity of each thing, that's a lot of what makes it so complex, um, because, well. You know, a friend of mine wrote this amazing poem that I, I can't, I'm not going to share the poem with you right now, but it's this amazing poem where he says, um, today I'm taking sides, I'm, I'm taking the side of peace. And he dares to speak of, you know, I am going to um, fight through the thicket, the overgrown thicket of right and wrong and hold peace hold peace in my arms, hold peace. Um, it, it was not saying, it, he was not saying there is a simple answer. He was kind of saying the opposite, but he was saying, I am going to, I am going to take that side regardless. If I'm taking a side, don't ask me to take a side unless it's the side of peace. And, um, I think it's easy to confuse that with naivete. And I think where, you know, we speak in our, in, in Jewish, you know, in, in Judaism, the, um, the word Yisrael, um, it, you know, Israel is the name of a country um, in the Middle East right now. But it, 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 the, the word Yisrael is speaking about the, the people of, the people of Israel. And what the way that translates is the God rest, one way that that can be translated is as the the God wrestling people. We we wrestle with we wrestle with God. We wrestle with we wrestle with notions of what it means to be holy, act act in holy ways in the world. Um, we sometimes wrestle with how we even what we even think God is. We wrestle. It's part of our tradition. And I'm not I'm not willing to give up on what I believe to be true about what's happening but i also see that the world is poising itself for war in ways that are extremely disturbing right now and that have the potential to go far beyond israel and palestine and i i so i find that when i hear my friends say i'm taking the side of peace and talking about the overgrown thicket of right and wrong, I'm just aware that, yeah, of course we need context. Of course we do. And I, I'm not sure that's what's going to save us in the moment um, in a certain way. Because in a certain way, what I feel like is that humans need to um, rise up against powers that are bigger than the state of Israel bigger than Hamas bigger than you know that are that are that are that are placing these pressures that keep these pressures in place in places like Israel and Palestine you know the 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 global powers that keep these pressures in place so can we get away from political context we absolutely can't um, you know where do I see hope <laughs> Um, was always a question that I would ask. And, um, you know, I, 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 I see it where people are saying, and, and, and enough of this, I'm not going to buy into this. Um, and that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't solve the, 
the immediate need of, you know, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians being forced from their homes. It doesn't solve the immediate need of people not knowing where they're their um, their family members are who have been held captive. It doesn't solve any of those immediate needs, which also need attention. It's part of what makes this so hard. But I I feel like I feel like I I I, I, keep, I, I sometimes come back to that when I see when I see people doing things like writing a poem that says I'm taking the side of peace, or I you know or I or I hear of um, of Israelis who are. Um, and Palestinians who have previous relationships who are um, doing their best to stay in connection in spite of everything that is happening there. And, you know, then I remember, oh, yeah, humanity, <laughs> compassion is possible. You know, this isn't, this, isn't a, this isn't fluff. This isn't just some idea that, you know, people say we need compassion. Religious leaders talk about compassion. It's not, it's not that. It's deep and important, and some of the most important work that human beings can do. I think that from our perspective as Muslims, that we also just have to acknowledge that, you know, compassion is one wing of the um, of a path forward, and the other wing that will enable that to fly is justice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What uh, Dr. Cornell West um, likes to say is what love looks like in public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Justice is what love looks like in public. We can't. You're right. We can't. Uh, we can't. We can't. We can't have one on the on the on the big public stage. We can't have one and not have the other. Right. What does justice look like, sitting here in Ithaca? I think what we're witnessing in this time, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is sort of a pushback against being able to speak about the full dimensionality of the situation. And, you know, trying to go down that path of justification, you know, and if we say that we, you know, nothing can be justified by this, and then we look at the larger context and say, well, and equally, you know, difficult is, you know, what lies on the other side of this. We, you know, this is something that uh, uh, we have to acknowledge. And so justice is not justification. This is, I think, something that we have to be really um, understanding of, that uh, we're not asking for justification in looking at the situation. Uh, you know, so locally, what does it mean? It means that I think, you know, we have to be able to acknowledge the full dimensionality of the situation without fear of repercussion and reprisal. And, you know, to be able to really look at this honestly, that, you know, we have, um, what we don't want to create here is a second tier of, you know, we handled this situation in one way, we'll handle all other situations in a different way. But this one, we have to, we have to deal with this, we have to put parentheses around it, we have to, we have to refrain the way that we speak about it, 
we, you know, we can't go over a certain line. And, uh, you know, to me, this is a form of injustice that we have mm-hmm. to resist. That was Mahmoud Burton, Rabbi Shifra Tobachman, and Reverend Dr. David Caden. In the second part of their conversation, they'll talk more about how anyone can build and sustain interfaith relationships. It will air this Thursday, November 16th at 6 p.m. A list of readings, humanitarian organizations, and details about their monthly interfaith potluck dinner is on our website, wrfi.org. I'm Celia Clark for WRFI News.